Alright, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafal Matuszewski, and this is going to be a part two to the assessment episode I did on the functional movement screen, and we're just going to break down the big three that um, starts off the FMS to kind of give you a better idea of how people move and how we need to adjust their workouts based on these patterns. But before I get started, because I haven't done this in a while, um, I've got to do some shout outs. So shout out to my top three cities. Number one, Dobbs Ferry, New York. Shout out to everyone in Dobbs Ferry. Number two, all the way in the UK, a city called Aldershot. Shout out to everyone in Aldershot. And number three, all the way in Nebraska, the city of Omaha. Shout out to everyone in Nebraska to listening to my show. That's super awesome. All right, I'm going to try to keep this to 15 minutes. It might be quick. I might be talking super fast. I might choke on my own words, but we're going to get down into it. So breaking down each test, we're starting off with the overhead squat. I think this is so important to check squat mechanics, squat mobility, anything to do with the squat because it's a primitive pattern that we you know, get into as we develop as children. And in our world today, everything we do takes away the ability for us to squat. And then we get into the gym and lo and behold, there's squats in the program and your squat looks like a melted candle. So what does this test actually um look at. So it challenges the extremity mobility, postural control, core stability, total body mechanics, and neuromuscular control. So when you look at the overhead test, the extremities, meaning your arms and legs, all the mobility of each joint is challenged. Postural control, this is huge. If you think of the overhead squat position, a lot has to happen posturally to stay there. And next is core stability. Can your core fire all the right things to perform the squat? And imagine this, if your body weight squat looks terrible, why do people constantly just go to the gym and do barbell back squats? They have no business being there. And then you wonder why people get injured going to the gym. Body mechanics, again, this goes back to, you know, can your body do it? Can your body meet the demand that you're placing it under when you're trying to perform a bodyweight squat? And then it goes down to neuromuscular control. If you've been sitting at a desk for 20 years as an accountant and you haven't went past 90 degrees because that's where you sit all day, when you go to the gym and you challenge range of motion, it's not going to look pretty. So we're going to look at some common um, patterns that people screw up on when they do this test. And the big one is people are limited with their upper body mobility. And usually that's due to glenohumeral and T-spine mobility. So the glenohumeral joint, which is your shoulder joint itself, tends to be a limiting factor along with your T-spine mobility. If your shoulders can't go overhead without any kind of compensation, and usually where the compensation comes to is your elbows or your low back, 
with an overhead position. I see it so many times again. We go back to that accountant that sits at a desk for 20 years and their arms don't go past their keyboard for two decades. And then they go to the gym and there's overhead pressing. They have no business being there. They're literally putting strength over dysfunction and shit is going to fuck up. T-spine mobility. This is huge. Our T-spine is designed to rotate, flex, and extend. Majority of the time, I'd say 95% of our life is in a forward flex position. Now you're telling me that this person, again, we're going back to the account um, example, getting into a extension pattern to be able to do a back squat and they have no glenohumeral joint range of motion because they sit at a desk all day so they're cranking their shoulders and contorting their body to get under the barbell and you're telling me that they're not going to feel it in the right places like come on (laughs) so when i see limitations in the squat I already attack shoulder mobility and T-spine mobility right off the bat when it comes to training clients, especially general population. Now the other thing is looking at poor flexion in hips and knees along with limited dorsiflexion of the ankles. So again, the squat is a complicated movement. It has a lot of moving parts, right? When you think of the squatting pattern, your hips and knees need to have enough flexion in order to perform the movement. If you've been sitting at a desk all day, you're limited to how much flexion and extension you have in your hips if you haven't challenged it. And same thing, when was the last time you moved your ankles and you know performed ankle mobility exercises compared to just you walking every day? A lot of people have really, really tight ankles and then the motion, dorsiflexion, is what's required when you lunge, when you squat, and a lot of people are limited in that. And again, it's like, why are people back squatting when you, <laughs> their shoulders, their T-spine, their hips, their knees and ankles don't move the way a human body should? And then you wonder why the stat of one out of three people have low back pain. Where do you think people are getting mobility from? It's usually their lumbar spine. The lumbar spine is not designed to move in so many different degrees of freedom. It's built to be a stable segment of the body, but we're utilizing our lower back to make up for the mobility that we don't have. So when you look at it, poor stabilization can be a result in a dysfunctional pattern during the squat. So to kind of paint a picture and for those who are seeing the slideshow so again my podcast listeners hit the show notes there's going to be a video recording of this um, presentation so the overhead squat positions you have a dowel overhead and you have the individual squat as low as possible and you're looking at whether or not they can do it do they have enough shoulder mobility do they have enough t-spine extension do they have good hip flexion, do they have enough knee flexion, do they have enough dorsiflexion of their ankles, that's what we're looking for. When I see a terrible squat, the last thing I'm going to do is have someone under the barbell. That is the last thing I will get someone to do in their workouts if that's one of their goals. 
if it's not one of their goals, I'm going to really work on that squat pattern with something like a goblet squat, where it forces you to go into a better position. Maybe they're not ready for that, and I'll do an exercise called the face the wall squat, where you're four inches away from the, uh, from the wall, I'm going to have the individual squat as low as possible. When they hit that block, that barrier, I tell them, like, remember that spot. You're going to come back up, deep breath in, exhale on the way down, and just aim for a little inch here and there. And let's work in some mobility exercises and correctives to improve the mechanics of your squat. Man, that was a lot already. This is great. So the next one, the hurdle step. So I have pictures of the hurdle step at the end of all my notes, but um, to put this into, you know, if you had to imagine, um, FMS kit, you basically have a little string that is measured at your tibial tuberosity, and you have the individual with the dowel behind their back, this time in a back squat position, feet together, right leg starts, you go over the hurdle, and you come back without knocking it over, and it should look smooth, easy and no issue but looking back at the hurdle step what it is the hurdle step is a integral part when it comes to locomotion and acceleration so i tell people all the time when people have trouble with the hurdle step and i swear this is one of the hardest um you know screens in the fms is the hurdle step you have to be able to stabilize your entire body on one leg while the other leg moves over the hurdle. So you need a lot of um, mobility and stability and motor control to, in order to do this effectively. And nine out of 10 times, people struggle with this so much. And I tell them all the time that if you are a runner and you have a trouble, uh, trouble doing this movement, that's not a good sign. You know, the hurdle step challenges the body's stride mechanics as well as, like I said, stability and control on one leg. If you can't perform the hurdle step, you have no business running long distances. And usually runners that come to me for, you know, movement and rehab, their hurdle step is terrible. And the reason why they go with the tibial tuberosity is in a perfect run gait cycle, your heel should be able to pass that point without any compensation at the hips. People just fail at this miserably, miserably, I can't even talk today, um, every time. And then you wonder why people are like, oh yeah, after a while when I run, my hips hurt, my knees hurt, I get shin splints, my ankles hurt sometimes, and my neck kind of hurt sometimes. So this is where you know, things start popping up like, holy crap, this person needs a lot of single leg work, a lot of single st- uh, leg stability, some hip stabilization. Like, it starts really painting a clear picture of what the person needs. So, common ways that people screw up the hurdle step. The big one is the upper body will start compensating for the stepping pattern. I see it a lot of time. People will hunch forward to grab more mobility through their hips. Like, that, no, that should not happen. You know, um, people with poor mobility and stability are not going to do well on this test. And a lot of times what happens is people have tight hips, so they get to a certain point where they're, trying to, they're lifting their leg over the hurdle. They run out of hip flexion. So what happens? Their lumbar spine tucks under to fake 
you know, they do a little butt wink movement to um, cheat the movement to get over the hurdle. Now, that tells me that every time when they go into hip flexion, their lumbar spine likes to move for them. And that's a huge, terrible pattern for someone to have when it comes to exercising. The big thing with this hurdle step is that a lot of times people will look at it from an eye of a medical professional. You know, the big thing with the FMS, I tell every new trainer or any um, person interested in assessments is that you are not a physio or Cairo to determine what's going on. You know, you're not breaking down the pattern. That's what I always say. Like, an example is this, like, well, this person internally rotates their hip to get over the thing, and it must be an external hip rotators causing a faulty pattern, blah, 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 blah. Like, you're overthinking it. It's, can the person do the pattern, yes or no? Don't go any deeper or further than that. You don't have to overcomplicate things. So if you are watching my screen that I'm recording, that is the hurdle step. All right, we're going to get into the inline lunge. As you can see, a lot of this is to do with the hips, but the hips are directly related to the shoulder girdle. And those two things are key players when it comes to exercise. If your shoulder girdle, meaning your T-spine and your glenohumeral joints, if they do not move they, the way they should and your hips don't move the way, the way they should, usually people have low back pain, knee pain, ankle pain, neck pain, right? Do you see the common theme here? You make your hips and shoulder girdle work really well, pain goes away. All right, so the inline lunge is focused on a deceleration of movement and directional changes produced in exercise and in sport. This is huge, huge. If you want to do anything athletic, the inline lunge tests that. So it also challenges spine stabilization along with hip, knee, ankle, and foot mobility and stability. Like literally almost everything is challenged here in a split stance. So the inline lunge is literally a lunge just in line. Like if you had to like paint a line on the ground, place both feet in a split squat position, and then you're gonna lunge straight down and back up. But the kicker is that you have the dowel behind you touching your tailbone, um, T-spine, and your head, and then your hands in a um, top and bottom hand position to also chest, chest, check um, if you can stabilize your spine in a neutral position because the moment the dowel comes off say your tailbone or your head like you can't keep a neutral spine so now imagine when people are doing lunges and you're telling them to hold on to weights and they can't even hold their spine up straight in a body weight position oh man Sometimes when I see other trainers, it just really pisses me off that they're literally making their clients worse. All right. Here is where people screw up. If they have hip, knee, and ankle mobility issues, it's going to show up here really, really quickly. It also challenges their dynamic stability. And when they can't stabilize in a dynamic movement, usually what happens is they can't complete it. 
And if you think about how our bodies are designed, we're supposed to move in a dynamic way. Like, think about when we walk. It's opposite hand and opposite leg. It's a contralateral load across our joints. And then when you get someone to do something like step-ups, they don't even understand or phantom the idea of, I got to lift my right hand when I have my left leg up. And they have to think about it. I'm like, this should be natural. Like, we're not good at human anymore, and we need to change that. Um, and then again, it goes back to T-spine mobility. And that can really change how um, the mechanics of a lunge can happen. If you think about it, if you can't keep neutral spine like I was talking before, and I'm just going to put up the picture here, how are you supposed to hold dumbbells by your side or a kettlebell, sandbag, or whatever without your entire torso collapsing? So this is where you know progressions and regressions are so critical and important and vital to the success of your clients and to you. Like, how do you know that you picking this certain exercise you saw on Instagram is the one for you? How do you know that's actually going to improve your body's function? So I'm going to end it there, and I want everyone to really, really think about, you know, am I doing exercises in my workout routine right now that are actually complementing what I'm trying to achieve? Yes, fitness and weight loss and blah, blah, blah is important, but if you're doing exercises that are slowly tearing you down, you're going to end up taking time off of the gym to recover from your injury. I see it all the time in the clinic where... People come in, they're like, oh, my knee's bugging me. And then we assess their hip. They have no hip. Like, you test internal rotation, and it's like, it doesn't go anywhere. And then their other hip has a lot of internal rotation, but terrible external rotation. And then I put them through the FMS, and their lunge and squat look terrible. And then I ask them, what are you doing in the classes? No, plyometric split squat jumps. I'm like, what the fuck? How? And you're literally jamming a square peg in a round hole over and over and over again. And your body goes, fuck this. This is over. So I want you guys to really evaluate what you're putting into your program and the programs of your clients. Do they actually give the benefit to them to move and feel better? That's my challenge to you. Thank you for listening to me ramble on. I gave you a lot of information out of nowhere. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Share this podcast with your friends and family. Give a five-star rating. Hit the show notes. Add me on Facebook. Buy my ebook, Ironclad Body Training System. It's not on sale anymore, but still, you should get it. And I'm going to continue giving you the best fitness and health advice out there. Till next time, you guys.